I think this one's going to have moments that will scare you. Okay. We'll see. I think it's just white people being quiet, which is like my fucking dream. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we may feel this one differently. From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critics' Halloween movie marathon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, and she couldn't stay quiet if her life depended on it, is my lovely wife, Nikia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hi. How are you today, dear? I'm fine. (laughs) On this week's episode, we're continuing our Halloween movie marathon by sitting down for Nikia's first viewing of a recent horror hit, John Krasinski's A Quiet Place from 2018. But Nakia, every single time we watch a horror movie, I think we get you on record as saying that you don't like horror. Mm -hmm. I thought this week we would try to narrow in on your pathological aversion to the horror genre a little bit. I feel like there are a lot of different kinds of horror and you are painting it all with the same brush. You can't possibly hate every kind of horror movie equally. That's fair. Sure. And what made me think of this is I came across a very useful, very colorful (laughs) chart online Uh entitled Horror Genres and Subgenres. And I came across this in in an article on the AV Club. This chart was apparently originally created for the Horror on Screen website, which I think is now defunct. The link was dead anyway. (laughs) And expanded on the Simple Film Reviews blog, which was also a dead link. I will link to this chart either way in the show notes. But what it does is it breaks down horror movies into five major genres. Psychological, killer, monster, paranormal, and gore slash disturbing. Uh-huh. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. And then each one of those genres is then further broken down into a bunch of subgenres. This is a very complex chart here. It's very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, we are watching what we are watching this week would go somewhere under the monster genre. All right. They break the monster genre down into first of all, zombies is its own. It's wing. almost its own yeah. mm-hmm. genre here. Mm-hmm. It's so popular. Uh, So they've got zombies off to the side, and then they've got under monster vampire movies, werewolf movies, classic and mythological movies, giant monsters, aliens, neo-monsters, animals and nature, and small creatures. All creatures great and small. We've got all creatures great and small, Mm -hmm. and alien and earthly and everything. Sure. Under the monster subgenre. So I thought, you know, I don't think we'll go through all of these, Mm -hmm. but I thought, let's kind of go through these. We can, if nothing else, we can maybe identify some subgenres in which you are, you know, particularly uninformed, and therefore we know what to slate further down the road in our movie watching. Or we could just talk about the ones that I hate. (laughs) Sure. If some things leap out to you, sure, let's do that. Uh, So just about everything under gore and disturbing. Okay, that is the genre that we have pretty much said we are not going to do for the unenthusiastic critic. We're not. They break that down into torture, splatter, cannibal. And extreme. And extreme. Which is frightening. I don't even want to know what falls under that. Yeah. And that's, on no level would it be fun to watch torture porn movies with you. We're not going to watch a Serbian film, which is under extreme. I have never seen it. I've heard about it. We're not going to do that. The title of it is a Serbian film? Yes. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, that's just, it's not going to be a fun conversation. Mm -hmm. You're going to find it traumatic. We're Mm -hmm. just not going to do that. Pretty much. Okay. So let's, right. We'll leave that out. That whole branch of the family tree, I'm, I'm chopping off. That's the like... Cousin that tried to touch you inappropriately when you were little, you know, it's like still at the family reunion and you're just sort of like, no, we're not doing that. Now, I think it is important to know that there's a distinction there mm-hmm. because it is different than the killer subgenre. Yes. Or the killer genre. Yes. So, for example, we watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Which you are not a tremendous fan of, but it's actually not gory. It's, it's not, not torture gory. porny. No. no. That would be under the killer genre. Subgenre, backwoods, <laughs> and redneck, which I, lo- I feel like. I love that there's a subgenre for backwoods and redneck. It's an insult to a whole bunch of people. <laughs> 
but I didn't write this, so fine. I grew up among those people, so I don't really feel bad for them. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the killers, I don't have too much problem with. I mean, that's slasher films. Right. So Halloween, Halloween. we watched. Crime and Giallo, we watched Suspiria. Okay, sure. Suspiria is actually... I'm sorry, a, what is Giallo? Okay, we we talked about Giallo when we did Suspiria. <laughs> you don't listen. You don't retain information. It's Italian You went horror. to a very good college. How did you graduate? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It's Italian slasher films. Right, yes. Okay, crime films. Mm -hmm. Suspiria is actually not a great example of it because Suspiria is also supernatural. So that's... So we got some cross-pollination here. We got some cross-pollination Okay, got it. So you you actually don't mind slasher films. I don't... You liked Halloween. I liked Halloween. I don't know that I will ever turn it on again. Suspiria, I did enjoy because it was beautiful to Mm -hmm. watch. And I think maybe that's my sweet spot is if I'm going to do horror, then it needs to be interesting to watch. On the other hand, you did not enjoy Friday the 13th or Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp, as we've discussed, <laughs> is grossly transphobic and just horrible. It's a, no. I, I don't think it should exist. Okay. Okay, so we have psychological. This is I'm probably better here. Mm-hmm. So that includes phobia and isolation. So The Shining. Sure. Under Madness and Paranoia, they have The Babadook, which right. I did really enjoy. Right. I, I really liked The Babadook. And then Home Invasion. I've seen a number of... I don't, I don't love Home Invasion because, you know, it hits too close to home, but... Yeah, I keep debating whether we're going yeah. to do The Strangers, which is another recent mm-hmm. film that I think is a very effective yeah. See, I don't, home that, invasion yeah, movie, I, don't, I think would creep you out yeah, I don't, pretty I don't, thoroughly. I'm already pretty paranoid about... I think you already sleep with a knife under your pillow. Pretty, yeah. I think that's, we would need to get, I mean, you know, a chainsaw or something for do. you. I don't know who doesn't sleep with a knife under their pillow. <laughs> I think most people don't. I don't. I mean, I don't understand that. You're just inviting murder into your life. <laughs> the whole world's just out to get you, aren't they, honey? In, in so many ways. I can't even tell you. And then paranormal. I'm fine in paranormal. So we have Uh, ghosts and spirits. Okay, ghosts and spirits. Haunted house. Right. Possession. Possession. Love the exorcist. Mm -hmm. Devil and demon and hell. That's one of your favorite subgenres. You love devil, demon, hell movies. I do. That's actually fair. You love, what is that movie with? One of the Arquettes and... <laughs> Stigmata. Stigmata. Gabriel Byrne. It's a great film. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is in the occult. Sure. Totally on board with that. And then Supernatural. Oh, It Follows. I really liked It Follows. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, I'm paranormal. Is this like... What, what are those um, personality tests? Like the I-N... <laughs> the I-N-F-P yes. or whatever. So, I am paranormal psychological. You're a PP. I'm a PP with a little bit of K... Okay. Thrown in, I you're think. You're a PPK. I'm a PPK. PPKM? I mean, monster movies, you're not yeah, big on monster movies. I'm not movies. big on... If, if, top three, I'm PPK. I'm paranormal, I'm psychological <laughs> killer, I think. Okay. It probably says a whole lot about me. <laughs> Let's see what else they got here. Body horror, absolutely not. I cannot watch The Fly. Wait, where are you? At the bottom, there are like these... Oh, okay, so these... Yeah, are, now along the bottom of this chart, there are these sort of... I think these are like modifier... Mm-hmm categories because any of these could be combined with any of the main categories Mm -hmm. so example they've got sci-fi horror well you could do a sci-fi horror monster monster you could do a sci-fi horror psychological sure okay you know that i think that's how these work there's horror romance horror oh let the right one in that was a (laughs) was that a romance i mean the two kids had and by the way the original is the only version i'm talking about there was a little budding romance between the two lead children I mean, it was a vampire and a, and a, and a little and boy. A deeply disturbed yes. little boy. So it, it's not the healthiest of relationships, <laughs> but it was very sweet. Okay. So, okay, I like horror romance. Horror romance, Let's all right. Let's see more of that. Okay. There was that movie a few years ago called Warm Bodies, which was billed as a Zom rom-com, mm-hmm. which is a zombie romantic comedy. Here's the thing. Zombies aren't sexy. I can see getting it on with a vampire, okay. recognizing that you know cliche though. It's a but it it's a cliche because it it works. They're okay. super sexy and it's all this like hypnotic sexuality yeah. and you know they just they're just gonna suck your blood and that's fine. That, Zombies though, 
are de- dead, rotting deteriorating bodies. bodies, things falling yeah, off. Yeah, like, so it's perhaps. just I'm I'm I can't can't quite wrap my my head around the hotness there. I think there's a reason that is a you know underserved. Mm-hmm genre slash fetish mm-hmm. i don't think there's a, a huge market yeah just, for zombie porn it's not uh werewolf porn how about no are, are you into harry not well if i look at you i mean I, you, okay. people would think really? that i is that was necessary sort of um <laughs> no not into werewolf porn because werewolves have no control once they become werewolves so that's a short romance i mean that could be exciting no, you're gonna die. Like, I mean, they're gonna turn a into rough, a werewolf. A little... You're gonna turn into a werewolf. How did this conversation degenerate so quickly into discussing porn and sexual fetishes? And... Is that what we were talking about? Sort of. I think so. You're like, I can get it on with a vampire. Can't I can't say get, I can it, on get it on with a vampire. I said I can see werewolf. the attraction to vampires. <laughs> werewolves have absolutely no fucking control. Werewolves is you're dating, you know, the alcoholic. It's just like, yeah, he's cool when he's sober, and then he's drunk and uh, shit that's gets not real. true. Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf. I did. Was able to play basketball okay we're not going to talk about teen wolf (laughs) i'm not i refuse to talk about teen wolf i deeply respect michael j fox but i'm not it's a terrible terrible movie so maybe yeah maybe i'm just into vampire horror romance i can't think of another monster that i would find sexy mummies aren't sexy well i mean we just watched frankenstein i guess he's pretty much a zombie really right yeah not sexy and stupid but she was she was sexy the thing with vampires no i mean yes she was but she just screeched at you like a bird and that would get old really quickly Um, tell me about it excuse me story of my life anyway <laughs> what you get with vampires is you get they're usually beautiful they're usually should they be the, okay why are there no ugly vampires because you're preserving life it's all about life everlasting and youth and beauty and so is it vampires just don't turn ugly people i think into they vampires? avoid ugly is people it, yes that's so elitist but you know what i respect it do you yeah you know selective you know. Okay, I just, now I have an idea for a movie, and it's going to be... Ugly Vampire? It's going to be a courtroom movie. It's going to be the ACLU suing okay. the vampire For being discriminatory class, For against... being discriminatory No, it's like the bars. People. They can hire hot chicks, and it's fine. I don't, I don't think it is fine. I think it is. I think bars have, there's like a loophole where they can hire only beautiful women. I'm cutting this part out because someone's going to make this movie <laughs> and make a lot of money on it, and they're not going to give us any of it. Brad Pitt in um interview with a vampire, gorgeous. <laughs> you know, I just I think vampires are are the way to go. Okay, so you want to just watch nothing but vampire movies from now on? Sure, why not? Okay, we're not going to do that. Okay, so if you had your druthers, what mm-hmm. would we watch next? None of these things. I don't really want to watch any of this other stuff. <laughs> Let's see. So yeah, I don't want to watch any of this. <laughs> Well, okay, so we ended up pretty much exactly where we began, which is that you just don't want to watch any of it. Well, no, we've narrowed it down. I'm a PPK. So pick anything in the PPK categories, and I'll be on board. Fair enough. At the beginning of the film, you meet a family, and they seem to be living silently. There's been an invasion, and most of the Earth has been wiped out. If you make sound, something will come and get you. That's the real challenge they face, a family with young children who have to live silently. For me, in many ways, as a mother, it represented my deepest fear. about what they're having to overcome and it is the most tense film just because it's so very frightening okay so i don't think there's a lot to discuss up front about the movie we're watching this week but what do you know about a quiet place uh they're the last white family in america because everyone else has been killed or something. And they have to be quiet because the monsters have, like, supersonic hearing. That's all I know. Okay. Oh, and she's, like, pregnant during oh, the worst you know, time. You know too much. You when, know too much about well, this movie This then. was all in the previews. Mm, she's, like, in a it? bathtub giving birth to a baby okay. silently. So it's just... 
I, this, this is the same thing that happened on Walking Dead. Like, why are you getting pregnant during something like this? It's bad timing. It's also a little bit selfish to bring a child into a fucked up world. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna end up talking about yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah. So that's what I know about a quiet. I place. I thought about have, trying to have a, a preliminary conversation here about just stupid decisions in mm-hmm. horror movies because I think that's that's one of your things mm-hmm. is that every horror movie we watch, you just end up saying, "Why the fuck are you doing what you're doing?" Yeah, pretty much. You take a lot of issue with pretty much every decision. Basically, if someone has ended up in a horror movie, you think they've, they've made poor choices. They've made poor choices. They've made in their absolutely life. poor choices. Yeah. Now, and that is not me saying that out of arrogance, because I know that uh, I will die no. immediately. You don't know that. Though. I do. I do. Because you always think you would somehow know that you were in a horror movie mm-hmm. and make your decisions accordingly. Okay, but that that bears out my point that I would die because I would then, then you, what you're saying is that I would be walking around not knowing that I was in a horror movie and I would be killed. Well, yes, that's what I really think would happen. But I think you think mm-hmm. you would sense that you were in a horror movie before anyone else did and you would start making your decisions accordingly. No, I'm saying I would You'd die. Like, I'm not going to go outside and wander around in my no. underwear because well, one, I, don't I know I'm in a horror movie. ever do that, so it wouldn't happen. <laughs> I'm saying that I would die very quickly. I mean, you would die. As soon as society breaks down. You're going to be one of the first. I'm just going to be one of the first because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that means I can't get my medicine. I need to get my eyeglass prescription renewed like every two years. Who the fuck's going to do that? <laughs> Like, there's so many things. I would just, I'm a vegetarian and you're going to have me trying to eat rats or something. And it's just, so I'm just going to like lay down. <laughs> just come get and me. And accept the fact that I'm not meant for that world. Okay. And pass away. <laughs> okay. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of, not a lot. I think there's going to be definitely some, some decisions in this movie mm-hmm. that, that you're going to take issue with. Mm-hmm. Some poor judgment on a number of people's parts. I think there's there's actually going to be a lot to talk about after we watch this movie. Okay. There's not much to talk about up front. Let me do just a little background here at the top. So it was written by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who are two friends from Iowa who have apparently been making movies together since they were about 11 years old. So they were pretty much like those kids in Super 8. Yeah. They just grew up. Awesome. Uh, I read they made like stop motion movies mm-hmm. with their action figures, that kind of stuff when they were kids. And then they ended up making a lot of sort of low budget, not even indie, I mean, just like no budget movies that they made again with mm-hmm. their friends. Mm-hmm. And this screenplay sort of, as far as I can tell, sort of started that way. And they said this was a screenplay that we could have made for $50,000 if we'd had to. Mm-hmm. It had the potential to be a super micro budget horror movie. And they thought it might be because they couldn't actually get anyone interested in it. In fact, no one even wanted to read it, in part because no one wanted to read a script with almost no dialogue in Mm. it. Mm -hmm. That was just a tedious thing for people to imagine reading, and they didn't see how it was going to work. The person who finally saw the potential in it, oddly enough, was our recent friend, Michael Bay. Oh, really? Yes. It was Michael Bay's production company that finally bought this script and produced it. Beck and Woods recognized the irony in that. They said the last thing we were thinking of is, let's make a quiet, subtle movie with Michael Bay. More explosions. (laughs) John Krasinski came on board as both star and director and did a pass on the script. Apparently, he upped the parenting Mm. anxiety factor. Mm Mm-hmm. He and Emily Blunt, who also starred, they are married in real life. They had just had their second child, so this was good timing for them to to make this movie, which is largely about parental anxiety. Mm -hmm. They made it for $17 million, which is a pretty cheap movie. The movie ended up grossing over $340 million worldwide. It was a big hit, and it was a critical hit. It's currently sitting at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Stephen King called it an extraordinary piece of work. That's, you know. Can't get better than that. I didn't see it in theaters, and I sort of wish I had, because that was apparently one of the the experiences everyone talked Mm, about, is mm -hmm. that, for one thing, I would have enjoyed it just because it apparently made everyone in the theater hyper-aware of the noise they were making. So everyone was super quiet. And that's your pet peeve. And if they weren't, people got angry with them. Oh, you would have loved that. Right. This is, that's my perfect, like, every movie should be like that. (laughs) But I didn't, I I ended up watching it at home, which was, I think it's effective in other ways. I remember just walking around the apartment after I watched this movie, becoming hyper aware of how much noise I was making, just footsteps. Oh, our floors are creaky Right, exactly. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I wanted to watch this movie with you. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I don't think it's, I don't think it's an all-time canon film necessarily. 
necessarily. Mm-hmm. I do think it's an effective horror movie. And I think just that is rare enough. I think mm. when you see a horror movie that really works and that isn't sleazy and gross. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's so refreshing just to see a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's just going to be fun for us to talk about. I think you will enjoy it on a visceral level, but I also think that there's weird, if unintended, political subtext to it that is going to be fun to unpack. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking forward to this conversation. What are you expecting from it? Um, I'm expecting to enjoy it. For the most part, I heard good things about it, so I don't anticipate it being, you know, sleepaway camp. So, you <laughs> well, know. We can only hope. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I I mean, I enjoy Emily Blunt. She, she's fantastic. Yeah, I love her. I she she can do no wrong, yeah. and she can do anything, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I love her to death. Okay, uh, let's go watch it. Uh, for those of you watching along at home, A Quiet Place is currently streaming for free on Hulu and Amazon Prime, and it's available for rental from the other streaming sites. So when we come back, we will talk about A Quiet Place. Hi, everyone. This is Michael. And this is the point in the episode where I insert the trailer for the movie we're watching as a bumper between segments. But, of course, the trailer for A Quiet Place, which you can hear behind my voice, does not have a lot of words in it. So I'm going to use this opportunity, as we do about once a year, to ask you to make a donation to help keep the unenthusiastic critic running. Nikki and I love doing this show, but it is a significant investment of time and money, and like everything at unaffiliatedcritic.com, we're trying to keep it ad-free, so your small donation can make a huge difference to us. So, if you enjoy our show and you want to keep new episodes coming and free of ads, we'd ask you to go to unaffiliatedcritic.com and hit the donate button to make a secure donation through PayPal. Alternatively, or better yet, additionally, you can help us out for free by leaving us a starred review on Apple Podcasts. Either way, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to enjoy The Unenthusiastic Critic. And now, back to the show. Who are we if we can't protect them? We have to protect them. And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched A Quiet Place. Nikki, we talked about how the theatrical experience on this film was fairly unique. People reporting that they didn't dare chew their popcorn. <laughs> that for once, the movie theater was as quiet as it should be during every movie. Th- mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if we were able to completely recreate that experience at home. We no. tried. We have loud neighbors. We do. But how was this experience for you? I enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting way to tell a horror story. When you take screams out of a horror story, Mm. which are sort of fundamental to that experience. Right. I think that adds something. I don't, I didn't find it scary. Okay. That was going to be one of my first questions. I think it's more. You've been saying that a lot. Yeah. Maybe I'm just. Are you just not. Dead inside. Are you just not the big. Maybe I'm not. cat that we think of you as. I think it depends on the film. So I think when we do get it, like when we did the chart earlier and went Mm -hmm. through the different types of, I think there are genres where I would be more of a pussy than others, like the body horror and, and some of the other things where I'm definitely like, I need to be shielding myself from whatever's on the screen. This was much more tense than it was scary. Okay. Like, I was tense through the whole thing. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that I think that counts. Sure. Is that partially a just a realism thing where it's you're not really worried about giant aliens <laughs> coming in and killing you? Um, that's Well, I mean, you could say that about any horror film. Like, for the most part, it's unlikely that you're going to run into Michael Myers. But see, that was one where you said that actually scared you. Yeah, you were that a lot uncomfortable yeah. that yeah. night after yeah. we watched that movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't... Did you find this film scary? Less the second time. I think it's a good first watch. Mm-hmm. Watching it again this time, I was more just interested in the filmmaking mm-hmm. and just sort of, you know, appreciating it on that level. Mm-hmm. I wasn't... It didn't scare me. Okay. I think there are definitely some scenes that are pretty creepy. Yeah. Let's talk about the opening scene, though, because I think that very efficiently sort of sets up the world and the stakes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So talk to me me about that opening sequence. Um, So we are in a convenience store Mm -hmm. that we see has gone through some sort of reckoning because the shelves are pretty much wiped clean. Almost wiped clean. Almost wiped clean. There's 
you notice stuff like potato chips yeah. has not been taken. Because yeah. <laughs> they're noisy. <laughs> but yeah, so that's when we first meet the Abbots. Yeah. A wife and a husband and, and their three children. And they are looking for supplies, and specifically looking for medicine for their oldest boy who right. is sick. Right, the middle child is sick. sick. Uh, we're right. not quite sure what's wrong with him, but he's sick. Syphilis, something. Sure. I don't know, they need some penicillin. Uh, and then the youngest boy, who's maybe about four comes across a toy a toy rocket yeah and nearly drops it off the shelf trying to get it but luckily his his sister catches it and then the parents give him a very sort of stern sign language talking to saying that he can't have the toy because it's he, too loud. he walks up to them with that toy and everything stops yeah. it's like he has a live grenade it's a very in his hand. Moment. that's how they all react yeah. So, yeah, so they take the toy away from him and they explain that it's too loud. He can't yeah. have it. Um, and so that's sort of one of our first hints that, like, noise is a problem mm. in this world. Like, we can't. We notice that they're walking barefoot in the yeah. store. Like, no one's wearing shoes and no one's talking. So they take the batteries out the toy and put the toy on, on like, a counter. And then the sister, trying to be the cool, nice sister and show some empathy to this little boy, gives him the toy back. And he, of course, snatches the batteries. And that, we will find out later, is a... Um, <laughs> A fatal decision. <laughs> but yeah, it's a perfect sort of, as you say, this sort of world building moment that relies on no exposition. One of the things we see outside the store is there are all these sort of posters of missing people. So right. we know that large swaths of the population have gone missing and yeah. are, are The dead. whole town basically the, seems to be empty. Yeah. So yes, it was. it's a really efficient way to set up the world. Yeah, the exposition is really well yeah. done because we do just get glimpses of newspapers mm-hmm. and we piece together everything we need to know, really. Yeah. Which is that there's been some kind of invasion, mm-hmm. that the monsters hunt by sound, that government has fallen apart, yeah. that nothing seems to work against these creatures. At some point, we see a flyer that the government has put out that says, basically, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where we are. And then, yeah, like you said, the kid... This was the place where I thought you might first have your people making bad decisions mm-hmm. reaction. Well, yeah, I mean, she, the daughter was wrong to give him the toy. Like, I understand the impulse and that you want to any slice of joy or childhood mm-hmm. that you can have in a world like this. You, you want to be able, someone to be able to have that. But, you know, she probably should have tossed the batteries. And why is he walking in the back? That's so that all, was my thing. Is they're like, all walking in a it's straight fine, line, <laughs> but she gives him the toy and then turns around and to, walks and out walks and leaves him alone yeah. in the store. So I think with yeah. the ba- the batteries are right there. Even without the toy, it's probably a bad idea to have the four year old taking up the rear uh, yes. in your family line. There, he definitely should have either been carried by someone or been someone should have been watching him. Someone should have been behind him. Yeah, but yes, that's when we get and this says a lot about me sort of joyful moment they're all they're walking on this bridge and it's totally silent and then you hear the noise of the rocket <laughs> this, go off right the beeping and the whole family turns around like oh my god this is something horrifying has just happened and the little boy's just playing innocently with the rocket and john krasinski who is the father sprints towards him yeah. and then you see this alien creature sort of running towards the boy you barely glimpse it through the trees coming snatches that kid up super quick <laughs> and i found it weirdly satisfying because i was like yep. oh. <laughs> that's how that goes down because <laughs> we don't got time for stupid um so <laughs> i i was supposed to feel so empathy. you were not sad no, i was supposed to feel not, sadness uh, there and i didn't it was like yeah that's what like, happens when yep. you do that <laughs> so. learned your lesson there didn't you <laughs> So that's, you know, says a whole lot about me. But, um, I, you know, I think I just appreciate any moment that uh, any movie that, you know, kills the kids. Because most films are, like, hesitant to do that. Well, that's why I said this, like, establishes the stakes yeah. right off the bat. Because you you know that not not everybody's going to be safe yeah. in this movie. They snatch that little four to If you're going to kill the cute little kid in the yeah. opening scene, that definitely increases the tension throughout the entire movie. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of the family here. Mm-hmm. So the movie then is going to jump a year ahead mm-hmm. where they're still dealing with the, the death loss, of yes. Bo. The little kid's name was Bo, though I'm not sure we ever hear it in the movie. I don't think we hear anyone's names. So. Yeah. So we've got Dad, whose name is Lee. Mm-hmm. That's John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. Mom is Evelyn, I believe. It's Emily Blunt. And then Reagan is the daughter. She's played by Millicent Simmons, who is actually deaf in real life. Mm-hmm. Krasinski said that was non-negotiable, that they actually cast a deaf actress. And then Noah Jupe is Marcus, the brother. I think all of them do really good jobs in their roles, particularly 
Emily Blunt and Millicent. Mm. It's sort of her movie. To the extent that we have a point of view character, I think it's largely Reagan. Yes. So Reagan is struggling with independence and also guilt at what happened with her baby brother. Right. And feeling like the family, particularly her father, blames her mm-hmm. for what happened to him. But she is, her eyes are just ridiculously expressive. Yeah, um, she's great. She's, she's a really powerful actress and both confident and unsure. Yes, yeah, so I really like I, I really enjoyed Millicent's performance. And then Emily Blunt um, was just sort of a force. Mm-hmm. She was, as much as John Krasinski's character was all about how do we protect a family in this world, she was determined that her family was going to thrive, even right. in this environment. Right. It's not just survival. Right. It's, her, it's, it's, they were going to thrive. And so... We see her teaching school yeah, to any the, the brother. and joy or love or anything that we've experienced in this film, it's it's typically coming from Emily Blunt's character. Yeah, I think that's right. Brzezinski's character really is all about survival, mm-hmm. hard pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Which is a very gendered sort of setup, but it's... Yeah, it's, I, we'll, yeah, talk, we'll yeah. talk about that, the very mm-hmm. traditional gender roles yeah. in this film. And then um, Noah was just like a little punk. <laughs> just nut up dude let's get this going he's he's scared of everything he's very scared which totally legitimate and fair sure given not, the world. Ir- not irrational but it's also like we ain't got time again we don't have time for you to be having a, having a break but dad kind of is a dick to reagan because yes he takes marcus out on this little training expedition right and marcus doesn't want to go because no. he's scared to death yes. Reagan wants to go, mm-hmm. and he won't take her. Which, again, is this reinforcing of her disabilities. Like, they don't take her because she's deaf, and they see that as a liability in a world where you need to be hyper-aware of I'm everything saying, that's going on around you. Right. So it's just like a sort of a double hit to her. One, she feels like, oh, you're not taking me because you don't love me anymore because you think it's my fault that my baby brother is dead. And you're also <laughs> saying that my deafness makes me a liability in this space. Right. Which we come to find out is not true. Right. And I think there's an argument to be made that she's probably one of the reasons this family's still alive in yes. the first place. Yes. Which is one of, if I had any problem with this film, it's the sort of water glass phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> so in M. Night Shyamalan's signs. Yeah. The little girl drinks like half a glass of water and then leaves all these water glasses all around the house. Yeah. And come to find out, the aliens are allergic to water or something. Which, why would they come to Earth that's totally covered in water? But Because anyway. it's a stupid movie. Because <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan anyway. is a hack. But so it just so happens that we have yeah. all these glasses of water all around the house that we can then fight these aliens with. And so it seems like it's this, it's, it's a similar feel here of like, well, this family has likely survived so long because they all had to learn ASL. And so that was convenient skill to have. Um, and then later when we find out that. Well, see, that doesn't bother me. I mean, okay. I, I agree that some of the plot contrivances yes. are super convenient yes. in this movie. That one doesn't bother me because, again, that's one of the reasons they are yeah. still alive. Yeah. That makes sense to me. That seems logical to me mm-hmm. that they would have an advantage, mm-hmm. but go ahead. But yes, it turns out that the frequency on her uh, sort of cochlear, cochlear implants, it's exactly the right note that it freaks the fuck out of these. Yeah. I don't know. They're not, we're not clear if they're aliens or what they are. I think they're aliens. One of the newspaper stories we glimpsed says Mm -hmm. something about a meteor crashing. So I think we're supposed to assume that, yes, these things crashed. So, yes. So that is the exact sound that basically totally disrupts the aliens. uh, Which nobody in the military, none of the scientists on the planet figured out to attack these things with sound. sound. When that's all we know about them is that they're super sensitive to sound. They probably are going to hate. We never tried that, apparently. But okay. We're, we're going to let that go. It's a little bit of a contrivance. <laughs> I was just like, really? You're doing this? Um, but speaking of the deaf daughter, I do think that the sound design of this film Fantastic. is amazing. Again, the use of silence, the use of very sort of natural organic sounds is mm-hmm. really powerful. And I, I liked every once in a while we would hear as Reagan hears. Yes. And so you would just hear a muffled heartbeat, yeah. which is all that she would be hearing. And I thought that that was really amazing. You get just sort of that dull mm-hmm. hum from her perspective. Yeah. Which is cool because it not only puts us in her point of view, but it also provides contrast that makes us realize that what we we think of as silent is, is not loud. silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we become even more hyper aware of all those other normal mm-hmm. ambient sounds that we hear mm-hmm. in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
which, as you say, becomes a source of tension, <laughs> just every little noise. Uh, but no, the sound design yeah. is fantastic. And there's videos you can go online and watch. They did old-fashioned Foley sound with this, doing the sound effects mm-hmm. by hand. Mm-hmm. The noises of the creatures. You, It's, you know, good old-fashioned torturing vegetables, <laughs> like tearing lettuce to make those creepy noises. But yeah, that was, I think that was the only Academy Award nomination this film got, was oh, for the sound okay. design. Okay. It's really good. And it, like I said, I mean, after watching this movie, I just became so hyper-aware mm-hmm. of just the sound of every footfall and... Our creaky floorboards. Yeah. I liked how in the house they have... They had painted where it was safe to step. They had painted where it was safe to step on the floorboards without them creaking. Yeah. We would totally have to do that. It would I'm be our sure. whole floor, though. I'm not I mean, sure we have a path yeah. no, through we, this house. No, we do not. Like, it would be the whole floor. is just a mess. <laughs> but it actually, the funny thing about it, though, is, is that when the sound did come in, in the moments where they were speaking, I liked it less. Oh, yeah. Me, too. So, like, there's a scene where when John Krasinski takes his son out to the waterfall, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be this moment of, Here's the one place where, you know, we you never get normally, to speak and you can actually right. speak because the waterfall sort of is louder than the level at which we would be speaking. And they have this conversation that is actually a really beautiful conversation about the brother sharing that his sister feels unloved and feels guilt about the death of, of their little brother. Yeah, that was a nice scene because he calls the dad yeah, on it. He's, he's, like, he's like, do you still yeah. love her? And he's like, of course I do. He's yeah. like, you should tell her that. Yeah. But it felt, it, I almost want to say I was disappointed, but th- that doesn't seem to be quite the right word, but it was just like... It's more banal. It, yeah, it just, it just felt like it an interruption into what it. was this this sort of, this world that we created. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that conversation was necessary. I get why you, it's a very movie scene. Okay, and it's, okay. I, so maybe the, maybe this is the place I, I really like this movie, but mm-hmm. there, I do have some problems with it. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that I think, to me, it's a very middle-of-the-road type of movie in mm-hmm. that it's not quite the more artsy, intellectual horror movie mm-hmm. of It Follows, The Witch, The Babadook, those movies that have been coming out in recent years that, to me, are top tier. Mm-hmm. Raw, which we watched last year, is that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But... It's not trashy garbage either. No. It's solidly down the middle. And I think that there are compromises made on both sides to that. I, I think the dialogue scenes, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it would be a stronger movie without any of the dialogue scenes. I don't like the music. Yeah. If they had had the guts to just make this movie mm-hmm. with no soundtrack whatsoever, I think it would have been tremendously yeah. improved. Yeah. Because that music just kicks in. It tells you what's going to happen. Yeah. It tells you how you're supposed to feel about it. The movie is so good about... Trusting the audience and then... Yes, exactly. We're going to baby feed you a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Um, I read that the original plan had been that the ASL would not be subtitled. Mm. Because they felt like the audience could could get it. Get what was the context of it, yeah. I would like that better. Mm. And I think what they said was they thought that worked until they got into like the discussions about the cochlear implant and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that that was too complicated for the audience to try to guess mm-hmm. at what the conversation was if they didn't happen to know ASL. Okay. But to me, that, again, it just makes it a slightly lesser movie. I would yeah. like it better if there were no subtitles. And then I we said at the top, the, the writers had made really micro-budget movies in the past, and they had said that they could make this movie for $50,000 if no one else wanted to make it. Mm-hmm. I would sort of like to see that movie because, I hmm. I mean, you would not see the monsters. No. I think that would be the biggest difference. Yeah. And I'm not sure that wouldn't be better, too. Mm-hmm. I, kind of, I kind of like the idea of that movie mm-hmm. where you never actually see these things or at best you just glimpse these things. Yeah, they're definitely much more sort of foreboding when you just see briefly, like, skittering right. across the, the background. Which is true. I mean, it's it's universal in horror. It's like the thing barely glimpsed is so much scarier than once you get a good look at it. No, that's true. Yeah, I mean, when they... You know, that final scene when Emily Blunt and Millicent are in the basement with the monster and you get, we get full on close up yeah. of its face and the giant ears and they're like, mm, this is bless. <laughs> <laughs> Not super into this, but... I thought I was scared of you, and yeah, now I'm not so sure. Yeah, you're just sort of silly looking. Um, <laughs> but yes. How do those plates on your head work? Yeah, it was, it was weird. And like, <laughs> they would just sort of expand out and then collapse back in. And it seems like they would actually be very vulnerable because they're opening their head up like every two seconds. And just, but it's just, okay. Well, I guess, I mean, we're, okay, I guess we're jumping around. So we, yes. sure, let's jump right to the ending and talk about the creatures. 
That bothered me, too, because it seems like they're not that tough. It doesn't seem like they could have wiped out the human race. If a shotgun right. takes them out, why do we have such trouble with them? Well, one of the newspapers was talking about the armor. So, obviously, right. they're armored. So, I guess the head only opened up because the cochlear implant was Bothering irritating them. So okay. Sure. So therefore it exposed mm. the red fleshy bits under the armor and therefore you could shoot at it. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't 100% work for me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about what are some of the best scenes or some of the creepiest scenes. What worked for you? Oh, uh, what worked for me? I mean, like that opening scene mm-hmm. when the little boy dies. Yeah. Um- <laughs> We all know you enjoy seeing children get hurt or killed. It is actually a really cool scene. Um, and just helps to sort of set the tone. I mean, there were a number. There was the scene where Reagan and Marcus are playing Monopoly. Yes. And they've refitted, they sort of retrofitted the Monopoly game so that the pieces are made, made of felt. Yeah. And so nothing makes any noise. But there's a lantern right next to them. Mm-hmm. And Marcus makes the mistake of knocking over the yeah. lantern. Something that doesn't seem like it would be that loud, but it's like the loudest noise it's anyone so, could possibly just, make. Whoomph. And it's just, and again, it's the same with when the toy went off. It's like everybody sort of stops and looks at the noise and it's like, okay, we need to contain this immediately. But we um, need to do it quietly. Right, but we need to do it quietly. And then there's the moment after you've contained the noise of like waiting. Yeah. You're waiting for the monster to sort the monster hear that? Is the monster um, coming? So th- there were a number of scenes like that where there was just like the tension was so palpable. And then again, I really do think Emily Blunt was sort of the MVP of this film. Yes. That scene towards the end where she goes into labor mm-hmm. and has to be silent through the whole thing. And we get Chekhov's nail sticking out of the stairs. We've seen that nail earlier in the movie. We've seen the nail sticking out of the stairs. And so we knew somebody was going to step on it and that that would be a problem. And it turns out that it's it's Emily And you just ask yourself, if I... I would be dead because I would be like, motherfucker! (laughs) 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 Immediately dead because I definitely would have screamed out in pain at stepping on a nail. But she was a fucking beast, man, because she was just like, okay, I'm not, we're not going to do it. But yeah, so that whole scene where she, so she steps on a nail, she's in labor. And at this point, the monsters have heard her and are now in the house. In the house. And so she's sort of hiding in the basement, you know, having contractions and trying not to scream through the contractions. And it's a really, it's Mm -hmm. a really powerful performance that sort of takes her all through the house. And we sort of end with her in the bathtub, giving labor silently, which I can't even fucking imagine. Um, But she's just, She's amazing with it because mm-hmm. even without screaming, you see just the pain and the fear. It's just, she's wonderful in it. I do think, I mean, and again, we will, we're going to talk about the traditional gender roles mm-hmm. here and a lot of other stuff that have made people say that this is, you know, a red state movie. Mm-hmm. But you also look at this movie and you're like, women are fucking tougher than. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> anything. Yes. Else. And you compare that, like the scene of him and the boy Mm -hmm. off in the waterfall and, oh, we're going to do our primal scream thing Mm -hmm. in the waterfall. It's a little pathetic compared to her bleeding (laughs) and giving birth (laughs) and being hunted by a monster and still not going to make a sound. And Reagan, too, is Mm -hmm. much stronger and much Mm -hmm. tougher than her brother is. Mm Mm-hmm. What about the scene in the silo? Did that work for you? It did, because weirdly, that was like the closest those kids had come to death. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole film was... Drowning in corn. Drowning in corn, which was probably some sort of statement on, you know, American agriculture. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> corn has sort of flooded our entire uh, food system. But yes, so that was... There's a scene in... Uh, I think you've seen this movie, but probably don't remember it. Witness, the Harrison mm-hmm. Ford movie. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in there. There's an action scene that takes place in a corn silo. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the bad guys ends up drowning in corn. It's always corn. Deadly, man. It's killing us all. Yeah. It really is. (laughs) That's not a way I would want to go. No, I I would prefer not to drown in corn. Yeah. All right. Well, do you you want to talk about the politics of this thing? (laughs) Uh, Because you had heard... various discussions about this film before you saw it, right? Yes. Okay. So I listened to Still Processing, which is a podcast mm. with Jenna Wortham and, and Wesley Morris. Great podcast. I, I don't know if it's cool to like shout out other podcasts on your own podcast. Absolutely. I highly recommend Still Processing. Because their audience is a thousand <laughs> million times what ours is. Uh, right. So I don't imagine they need our help, but I do want to shout them out because I think I really enjoy their podcast and they always have very, really smart analysis of pop culture 
but they had a discussion about sort of how white identity was showing up in pop culture. And this was when this was just when the Roseanne revival, I don't mm-hmm. know what it was called, had come out. And then they talked about A Quiet Place, which had also just recently been released. And what those two sort of pieces of entertainment were saying about white identity um, and particularly white anxieties mm-hmm. in America at this time. And I'm not going to do it justice. So I really do recommend that people listen to it. But essentially, it's what was this movie saying intentionally or more than likely unintentionally about white fears of being silenced Mm -hmm. or this feeling that whiteness was under constant and immediate attack by society, but more so like by black and brown folks. So right. like because they are oversensitive, because they're oversensitive to every nuance right. of what you say right. and will attack you for it. So it pulls in these, you know, and these are conversations. And this is I, I will confess that the first time I heard this theory, and I think the first time I heard it was uh Richard Brody at the New Yorker mm-hmm. hit on this point. And he wasn't wrong, but he did not make the case as well. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded silly when mm-hmm. he said it. You know, he said, A Quiet Place is the story of a white family living in rustic isolation that's reduced to silence because a bunch of big, dark, stealthy, predatory creatures. That Okay, so when you put it like that, it sounds silly. It mm-hmm. does sound like you're... You're reaching. You're really reaching mm-hmm. here. But I did listen to that episode of Still Processing, mm-hmm. and I actually did find it very convincing. And they said, I thought it was because they said, and this is where I was, they, they liked the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They thought it was a well done movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was intentional. What they said was, we think it's talking about something that it doesn't know it's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And to me, that's just further proof of something all white people need to be reminded of that whiteness is not neutral. Right. Right. Like, I guarantee John Krasinski, and I've seen him asked about it, he, and he just kind of laughs it off. He's just like, oh, I hadn't heard about that mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or he says, like, I think it's great people are finding stuff to talk about around, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee it was not intended, mm-hmm. and he was su- probably surprised by it. The writers were probably surprised by it. But it's because they think whiteness is neutral. Right. Because obviously, if you make this movie with a black family, that's going to have political subtext to it, right? With an oppressed people, Mm -hmm. you are automatically going to read this story in a certain way Mm -hmm. and and infuse it with a lot of historical stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But white people don't do that with stories where it's just about white people. We think that's neutral, and it isn't. So the fact that this is an all-white family in the middle of Iowa or wherever the fuck they are, we see no people of color in the movie. That has a political subtext to it Mm -hmm. that I think we need to get better about acknowledging. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as you said, just even the choice of environment is a statement about this sort of return to, you know, a quote unquote better America. Like we're on a farm and there are cornfields and it's rural. And so that in, in and of itself is making a statement. And in a space where you can be isolated from other, like it's very... Yeah. And this is something I read an article, uh, this was Catherine Fusco at Avidly, and she was pointing out that that is kind of this white fantasy that crosses mm-hmm. political lines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have the right wing, survivalist, anti-government bunker mentality. You have the hard left wing, anti-vaxxers, mm-hmm. do-it-yourself, back-to-earth mm-hmm. people. She says, a quiet place is a reminder that it's often at the point of child rearing where Americans on the fringes of the left and the right converge. <laughs> and I think that's true. So again, this is it's it's definitely a white fantasy. Yes. But whether it's right wing or left wing, I don't think it really matters mm-hmm. that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely an interesting film to think about in that way. And when you you know when you bring up the idea of okay, well, what if we swapped this family and it was you know a black family or right. a family of color um, or a Jewish family? A, sure. Obviously, then you're going to yes. be hiding in, yes. in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to bring all of that to it, right? And so, what assumed entitlements it does a yeah. white family bring into yes. that sort of environment? Because you've never been silenced before. You've always had the right to talk you've always had the right to yep. say whatever you want to say and so this is an adjustment for you and it feels oppressive in a different way whereas if it is a family of color if it is a jewish family there is already this sort of historical knowledge
knowledge of what it means to be silenced, what it means to always be under surveillance. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. in that podcast mm-hmm. is that they don't adjust their living, their way of life at all. Right. Like they're not going to live smaller. They don't go underground. No. They're still going to do whatever the fuck they want to do. Well, and this, I mean, and this is, you know. Down to, go ahead. Having a fucking right. baby. Exactly. So like, <laughs> exactly. So at the same time that I can respect Emily Blunt, and I, I mentioned this earlier, like she is committed to her family thriving in, in this in this world. And to a certain extent, you can respect that and say, okay, well, that's about, you know, the, the sort of the thirst to always be human and to, and to maintain right. your humanity. Which is what you admired about yes. her, but you said that already. Right. That you that totally she's gonna, She wants to actually live her life and let her children live her life. But on the same hand, <laughs> babies are loud as shit. Labor is loud as shit. Yeah. And so to just, it's a little just, bit selfish. It's the entitlement be above and beyond. To bring a child into that sort of, so one, it's just you're endangering yourself and anyone who else, who is around you. And all your other children. And all your other children. And two, you are bringing a baby into a horrific yeah. environment where it is built to fail, right? They literally made They build a coffin a for coffin this baby. For the child. And so when they did it at first I was like, oh they're just gonna kill the baby. Um <laughs> and I thought I thought the they sort of set up this tank and they put a gas mask. I, th- I thought it was. I thought they were going to gas the baby. Oh, you thought that was for yeah, euthanizing was, the yeah, baby? Yeah, I was like, okay, we're just going to have a little moment here. I mean, gonna... I guess, okay, that would make sense, sure. Because this, uh, and so. It's and final then, episode of MASH, but okay. Right. <laughs> but here we go, like, <laughs> what what sort of culturally do we bring to these sorts of things? So my brain automatically goes to Beloved. Making that decision of, like, the choice is allow my children to be brought back into chattel slavery or kill them. Yeah. And I'm choosing to kill my baby. Mm-hmm. And so that was my thing is like, oh, well, they're just going to kill this baby because the choice yeah. is you kill the baby or you have a baby that's going to be raised in a, in a world where they can't laugh, they yeah. can't cry, they can't talk. And, Until, and let's, uh, I, I am still not clear what the plan is here. Because first of all, the baby in the movie is the quietest baby. It's a very ever, quiet baby. Like, that it's baby a very never screams. baby. Like, God forbid that baby gets colic or something. <laughs> But at what point, we don't have children, no. and I haven't spent that much time around little children. I'm thinking it's a good three or four years at least until you can trust that child. To not make a sound. To not make a sound. Yes. What kind of life is that? Not one at all. Yeah. Which is why I think the more interesting horror film would be Kill the Baby <laughs> and then Do Beloved but for White People. Like, have the baby's ghost come back. <laughs> And fuck up your life. Like, then bring the paranormal to it. Like, that maybe would have been a more interesting horror film. Um, what does it mean to have, like... Kill I'm a, making notes here. Right, We're, kill you, and I are, you and I are going to collaborate <laughs> on this And this white script. baby's ghost <laughs> comes back and fucks this family shit the all what, up. The one-line pitch is white beloved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Tony Morrison, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you deserve so much more. <laughs> this is totally disrespectful to your legacy. Um, but, yeah, so it was just like, that's a decision to make that yeah. I would not have made. But <laughs> again, you know. Oh, so we didn't we didn't finish. Okay, yes. so it's not a coffin. It's not a euthanasia. Right. Uh, it's, it's just it's, a crib. It's not a right. It's meant to muffle the sound, and it, the ta- right. the it's, thing is it's oxygen. It's a bubble, right. basically. Is what so it's it is. oxygen, so the baby can breathe in the coffin. In, mm. Sorry, in the, in the crib. <laughs> in the crib that looks very much like a coffin. Um, <laughs> and again, I just I don't know that your baby should just be breathing straight yeah, oxygen. No. Like, like there are a whole bunch of things. I'm like, I don't think that's right. Anyway, but yeah, the thought yes. process there it's is just. And you have so many things, so I imagine condoms can be found. Birth control, like it's just like we can. Right, there's you know there's you probably know, some Plan B on the shelves of that pharmacy. Pull they out were method, in. like just make it work, and <laughs> we'll figure it out. But and yet I say that, and again, when we think about okay, well, what does it mean if this is a black family? Well, black people are living under constant oppression and surveillance and threat of death all the time, and yet are still thriving and having babies. So it's also like, well, right, right, that's true. You know, it's not the extreme situation of if your baby cries, it's going to die. But so yeah, it's. I mean, there. I think there are a lot of interesting things going on this here that is... probably weren't intended. <clears throat> I came across a really th- Twitter thread on this, and actually, some of this that might have been—I was thinking of the the still processing podcast. It might some of what I was saying might have come from this. This was Twitter user Barbarella. I'll put it at the link in the show notes. But she was talking about the hubris of this family, thinking that they didn't have to downsize mm-hmm. or change their way of life or stop procreating, like every other oppressed or endangered community in the history of the mm-hmm. world has had to do. Mm-hmm. And she also pointed out that every single on-screen death is the result of a white dude making unnecessary noise, Mm. which is an interesting point. Mm. 
They couldn't adapt to a world where their own and their community's survival is predicated on mitigating their voice, their existence, and their routines to draw minimum attention. If this movie isn't a succinct indictment of the futility of American toxic white masculinity, then I'm not a queer Jew with a go bag, she (laughs) writes. (laughs) And it's true. The little kid who wants to play with a toy... The older man they meet in the woods who, I guess his wife was killed by one of the monsters. I, that Is that how, how we read are yeah. reading that scene? Yeah. And he couldn't stand a little And he her. couldn't stand it, so he just commits suicide by yelling mm-hmm. that primal scream thing again. Mm-hmm. And then John Krasinski, mm-hmm. who, he, he does it to save his children, yes. but again, he basically does the same thing. It's suicide by Screaming. making noise. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought that was an interesting point that, mm-hmm. you know, these men who couldn't mitigate their voice, who could not stay silent. And then it's it's rage and not anything else. Like they could have sang, they could have said something nice, they could have. <laughs> Which I think is a phenomenon we see in Twitter of yeah. like these guys who are just like, fuck it, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Nobody else will say it. I'm just going to come out and say it. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of career suicide yeah. for some of these guys when they do that. I mean, that's the, the Michael Richards moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, I'm just, I'm tired of not saying what I'm really thinking. I'm just going to lose my shit on stage and commit career suicide and again i don't think any of this was intended no i doubt it when they wrote this movie right and i don't think anybody thought of it while they were making it but Mm -hmm. i do think it's there Mm -hmm. i think remember when we talked about planet of the apes Mm -hmm. they said the same thing sammy davis jr went up to the producers and said you know congratulations on making the best movie i've ever seen about race and the producers were like what the fuck is he talking about (laughs) we have no idea that it's about race Because when you guys try to make the race movie, that's your <laughs> that's fuck where up. We, then we make Green Book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also interesting. You you brought up this idea of like it being a red state film, and so the fact that it is on this this sort of cornfield and there in mm-hmm. the farm, but also ridiculously surveilled. Like he has all of the security yes. cameras set up, and they have rigged it so that the lights change color. You know, if there's danger in the home or anything like that. So again, even in an environment like this, is holding on to a feeling of like this is yours to protect, and mm-hmm. that you are, you are, you even have any capacity to protect it from something like yeah. this, and this the sort of the delusion of that. I think is really interesting. That's the, Richard Brody talked about that. He said the movie survivalist horror fantasy offers the argument for turning a rustic farmhouse into a virtual fortress. Mm. Yes, yeah, so you have that element of it. You have a lot of people have read this as a pro-life movie because they have hmm. the baby, mm-hmm. which sure, I guess, maybe. Well, and I mean, if you if we continue down this path of like, what does it mean? Is it a, a, you know, making a statement about white fear and white anxiety, this idea that you have to procreate in order to propagate the race, Mm -hmm. even in spite of this sort of invasion of aliens, right? Like they can't outnumber us. We need to keep having babies. Mm -hmm. So did you react to this movie this way? I mean, it was definitely. So here's the honest question. Would you have if you had not heard anything about this movie, Mm -hmm. would you have thought of all of this watching this movie? Yes, you would. have. Yes. Okay. It seemed pretty clear to me mm-hmm. and I, mean, I feel like very re- horror films are so often about other things right so uh, ca- capital o other right yes, capital the, o the other, other. right the, ca- yes, yes capital o other but also just societal fears and anxieties yes um and so it is rare that a horror film is just a horror film mm-hmm. um so i'm also i'm also just sort of inclined to watch horror films that way right. like okay yes there are these weird ear aliens <laughs> But what are we saying about that and what's going on here? And, and see, this is proving the point because here, white dude, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I can fall into the trap of, oh, it's just a movie about monsters. Mm-hmm. And I can fall into the trap of seeing it as neutral, mm-hmm. as, you know, sort of politically neutral. Mm-hmm. That is a luxury I yeah. have as the white dude. Yeah. Well, and, and also, like, any film that, and, you know, there have been many of them, these post-apocalyptic films, as soon as I realized that there have not been any people of color, I started to like, why? Yes. Why are right. there no people of color in this world? What, you know, what is the assumption being made that this is the only type of family that would survive? And so what are you trying to like, even if you're not, if you're doing it unconsciously, you are saying something. Yeah. And this is something you've brought up before, because mm-hmm. that is a very common thing. Right. Is that somehow only the white people survive mm-hmm. the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Apocalypses. <laughs> I mean, you could make this movie in a city. Mm-hmm. You could make it with people of color, but it would be a very different movie. Mm-hmm. And it's also just, I mean, even if you take out the sort of race analysis of it, it's also just a film about what does it mean to be a parent? Right. Um, Because, you know, in one of the few moments of dialogue, Mm -hmm. Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are having that conversation. I think it's after she's given birth. Yes, it is. 
And at this point, Reagan and Marcus are gone and we don't, you know, they don't know where they are. Right. And she says something. And they, and they, and they are talking about Bo. Right. And they're talking about Bo. I could have carried him that day. And she could have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll rub it in. (laughs) Shouldn't have been in the back. But okay. Um, but she says, you know, who are we if we can't protect right, them? Right, exactly. Our entire yeah. identity mm-hmm. is hinged on being able to protect mm-hmm. our children, mm-hmm. which is both a universal feeling of parenting sure, and a little reminiscent of the 14 words. Yes. We could go either way with that. You know. <laughs> well, and who in film typically gets that level of empathy and humanity? Right. And gets to be a parent... Who has lost a child or who is bringing a child into a hostile environment and isn't then also saddled with like a pathology like it is, mm-hmm. it's, 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 mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. I mean, to me, this movie is really a metaphor for the movie going experience. Okay. Or should be. Because I think if you do pull out any kind of electronic device that starts beeping in the middle of the movie, you should suffer a very swift death. The creatures in this movie are, to me, what ushers should be in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. Like that kid when he pulled out the beep, 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 beep. Like that's what should happen every time someone has one of those fucking Apple watches on their wrist. You're very angry about this. And, you know, (laughs) flashes it in my eyes when I'm trying to watch Mm -hmm. a movie. They should just swoop in and just destroy that person and just haul them out. And here's why I like these monsters. Okay. They don't eat the people. I noticed that. They're just killing them. They're just killing them. Which I sort of... Respect. It's like I'm. I'm not interested in eating. I'm just gonna fuck you up. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're not even doing it to like survive because they need. Well, okay. So then, is the implication that they hate all noise? Is that the problem? That all noise Mm. is painful to them, and therefore that I mean, they kill that raccoon. They do kill the raccoon. Uh, Right. So it's not about taking over the planet, and it's not about food. But yeah, they don't. They didn't eat the old woman. Seem to be eating people. No. So maybe it is just be quiet. Like I can so relate. These are your... Just shut up, as her neighbors can testify. Like, I'm... You need to let that... It's like, they have children. That's just what it is. (laughs) And we see how that works out (laughs) in this movie. (laughs) There is a sequel to this coming next year, by the way. Why? Um, Krasinski's directing again. Blunt and the two kids are back. I did notice... I, I don't know what the story is. I don't know... What the plot is, I did notice that it has a few people of color in it when I looked at the cast list. <laughs> Those and interviews I, got tough. Yeah, That's what I'm, that I'm guessing <laughs> that was a very deliberate Those decision. Those interviews got hard. Brian That's Tyree why. Henry is in it, mm-hmm. um, and some guy from Hamilton is in it. Well, because we know there are other people right. in the world, or right. at least in the... Is it right. a global, in, or do we know? It's, it's global, okay. but we see they light the fires right. on the silo at nightfall every day, and right. then you see all the... I mean, there's not a lot, no. but there's, you know, there half a dozen people. other yeah. people alive in the immediate area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do, <laughs> what they do with the sequel on this. I think that comes out in 2020. Part of me is like, this was a new, interesting, it's like, do that. Make a new, interesting movie. Do something different. Like, that's what... Right, which is funny, because that's what they said about this one. The writers said, apparently there was a moment where there was a possibility that this was going to get folded into, you haven't seen these movies, but the Cloverfield thing is now a universe, basically. Okay. There's, I think, three or four of those movies now that take place within the Cloverfield mm-hmm. universe and I guess there was a point at which this might have become one of those and they said that we didn't really want that because we like the idea that it's a new story mm-hmm. and you know a new intellectual property that's just not part of some other franchise yeah. but now it's becoming a franchise so it's A Quiet Place 12 <laughs> Revenge of Big Ear so uh, would we survive this world? Probably not. How would we do? We would die. I guess I'm not allowed to watch movies, right? No. You're not allowed to listen to music. Yeah, that would be the end of me because my stuff is loud even outside of... Like, <laughs> you can be walking next to me and I'm listening to my headphones and you hear exactly what I'm listening to. Yeah. You, so yeah. it's a problem. You, you don't seem to understand that the whole point of earphones is to keep it self-contained. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, that was actually a nice touch I meant to mention. the uh, That little dance mm-hmm. scene that they have. It's a nice scene, first of all, I yeah. think. Uh, but there's a little in-joke there because she's listening to Neil Young. Harvest Moon, Mm -hmm. which is an album he released after he started to get tinnitus. Oh. And he said specifically, and I'm sure that's how they arrived at this, he said, because he had been doing more rock stuff, Mm -hmm. and that's a very quiet, folksy album, and he said, I made that album because I didn't want to listen to loud noises for a while. (laughs) So that was a really nice... That was a cool touch. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm pretty quiet. You're not 
remotely quiet. When you sneeze, you sneeze five times in a row. It's not just one sneeze. You cough. You're also just a heavy walker. So <laughs> even if we painted the floorboards where you could step, you'd still be stepping too fucking hard. You shriek when you see a spider. You couldn't do without your espresso machine, which is loud as shit. Um, oh, the coffee grinder. Yeah. yeah that's so you I would. Can't. No. I mean, I can maybe grind by hand if I get still one of those loud. Kind of it would be a liability. Fuck. Yeah. It's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Although, on the upside, mm-hmm. I guess we don't have to do the podcast anymore. You'll be free from that. When? Yes. <laughs> maybe we did it inside a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call this? <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as our horror movie marathon continues. Nikia, you said earlier that when it comes to horror, you are a PPK. <laughs> liking paranormal, the psychological, and killers. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Sure. So all three of those things, plus another dead child or two, await you next week in one of the all-time greats, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now from 1973. I don't know anything about that. Excellent. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Okay. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast, download earlier episodes, find our contact and social media links, or make a donation to support our work. As always, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. You know who else is surprisingly attractive but you could not before you tell me just give me a little warning of how much this is going to squick me out you could not get close so a lot to kiss him so now i'm seeing something this may be because these were films that my mom really liked no. they oh, somehow no. got like wrapped up in my budding, uh, budding sexuality. sexuality are you are you gonna go pinhead i was <laughs> How did I know that's what was coming? There's something a little, you know, gothic and, and, you know, he's very lean and just very minimalist sort of Rick Owens vibe about him. He just has a lot of pins in his face. He's a pretty snappy dresser, isn't he? Is he's he like it's all like all, in all black? black and mm-hmm. le- Yeah, it's very, very... That's your aesthetic. It's totally my aesthetic. And he's bald. And he's bald. So right? there you go. So that so explains you. That explains why you're yes. with me. So, but it's just the pins so in the I face. So if I just shoved a couple pounds of metal into my head. Right. And I don't, I'm not quite sure how the intimacy becomes hard. Can't really get close. Well, love hurts. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so the pins stick in, though, don't they? They're yes. not sticking out, so they wouldn't hurt you. Uh, would, you would be pressing on the pins and shoving them but into I don't my think head, like... which I don't feel like you would have a problem with. <laughs> I think they're they're pointy on both ends. I don't think. I don't. I think they have heads on them. Do they? I don't remember them having. Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, either way, it's a barrier. You couldn't really get to know each other that mm-hmm. well because he has pins in his head. <laughs> Um, and he also has, you know, murderous tendencies and is very um, creative with his methodologies. But <laughs> I could, you know, I could see that. He could get it, as the kids say. You have a complicated inner life. I really do. <laughs> I really do.